Welcome to the EMT Pro Podcast, where we deliver relevant EMS content from the field in the classroom each month. Episodes of this podcast can get you one full hour of CE through our partner, emt-ce.com. So head over there for more information. I'm your host, Steve Williams, and with me today is Dan, Holly, and Ramsey. Guys, say hello. Hello there. Hello, hello. Hello. And Holly, you're you're remote today. Calling in on this one. I am. Yeah. So it's, it's like our, our guest, but <laughs> you're not. I'm your guest. You're kind of like the guest. So that means you have to be nice to me if I'm your guest. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're always nice to you. Can't even it's tell Dan that we're never very nice. That's right. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> Did I just admit that? Yeah. Dang it. Your um, service sounds great when Dan calls in. <laughs> yeah, it's like he's in some he's remote like town. <laughs> didn't even think that he might have a bad cell area. Yeah. Oh, I wow. thought you were stuck on the International Space Station. <laughs> Was it that bad? Time. Goodness. Oh, wow. That one took a lot of editing. Yeah, I'll just say that. Um, Cool. Well, we got a fun episode today. At least I think it'll be fun. Um, I've got a couple um, case reviews I want to throw at you. Definitely want to get uh, Ramsey's take on it. And want to um, also hear about your other exposures to these types of calls and see what you guys think. So um, I'll give you the info of what we're talking about today after the first case review. And then um, I'll share a second one that was very similar and then would love to hear your guys' experiences with them too. But um, want to get started? Let's do it. Cool. Let's do it. All right. So I'll give you all the information you ask for. And Dan, maybe you lead, you know, kind of the questions that you would want to know from an okay. EMS perspective. Um, you know, the dispatch info is uh, ground level fall. Um, we're going to a neighboring jurisdiction um, in our ambulance. Um, I work for... So longer transport time? Yeah, transport time is going to end up being about 25 minutes. Oh, okay. Um, the uh, area that I work in uh, has the ambulance service agreement for the county, and so that includes a bunch of smaller departments okay. um, around our town. So we're dispatched for a ground-level fall, <clears throat> and when we get there, we're staged. So the QRTs have basically said, ah, we got this. We've been to this address before. Just um, hang out. Just hang out. Okay. So we're sitting in the ambulance waiting to be canceled. So yeah. that's the mentality. <laughs> Thinking about dinner. <laughs> yeah. What's uh, I should tell you the time of day because it was exactly right around 530 at night. Okay. So we had dinner being you know in, in the process. Right. It was high on our, our list of to-dos. And here we are staged on scene outside of a <sighs> – let me describe the house for you. Bring me there. So we're kind of in this – alleyway of of sorts but down the alleyway it was like um i feel like other countries have them a better way to describe them but they're like a half street you ever heard of that term no so it's no. basically like a an alleyway that has really small tiny houses down the side and oh they're okay like, i know what you're talking about yeah yep. they're like um they don't have an actual their street address is off of the street yeah. that this little alleyway yep. or you know this is a hog. This is a Hogwarts reference. Yeah, I mean, it's a Hogwarts. Right? It was like <laughs> Hogwarts. What was the so Harry was the Potter? Hog, yeah, yeah. thirty-nine and a half. Was that the? <laughs> you're at Olivander's the yeah, wand shop. Yeah. You're at the wand shop. Okay, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, we're staged out on the street. Um, we end up getting uh, waved in, kind of like ah, eh, like <clears> this. <throat> this person comes out. Uh, I'm trying to remember what his level of provide. I think he's an intermediate. Comes out, kind of flags us down. Says, "Ah, just come in and let's have a quick chat." Okay, so I'm not really sure what the heck that means. Yeah, but, you're already disappointed because dinner's yeah. getting cold. Yeah, we're like, 
how much longer are you going to request that we stay here? <laughs> right. So we walk in, and this is like a these these units are like a studio apartment, um, and there may be a total of about three fifty square feet. Okay. Um, the living area butts up against a very small kitchenette. Um, this lady has her bed in the you know kind of the central part of the of the the house, I guess you would call it. Uh, entertainment area, TV, nightstand, kitchenette, table, and then the house is kind of in disarray. And having, gosh, four or five QRTs plus yeah. our three-person ambulance is, is, a, is a lot. So patient is on the bed, and she's talking to um, the uh, QRTs. She's, I'm going to guess she was probably about 72-ish. Okay. Uh, smaller, smaller gal. Okay. Um, maybe five, three, five, four, and about, I'm going to guess 110, 120 pounds max. She's there with a, uh, what we thought was daughter ends up just being a neighbor. doesn't really matter though. And she's a friend who takes care of her, watches her. And she goes, yeah, she just keeps falling. She won't stop falling. We're like, okay. Um, talking to the patient and she's like agitated that we're there yeah. and just kind of wants us to leave. So at this point I'm kind of wondering, Hey, when are they going to cancel us? Because right. like she doesn't want us here. And how, how did she look when you just looked at her? So patient presented, you know, she was in regular clothes, um, appropriate for the time of day and the season. Um, and she had like, she looked a little pale, maybe okay. a little pale. Um, she wasn't, uh, you know, complaining of much, but she couldn't, her, her, I guess her chief complaint, only complaint was she couldn't get comfortable. Oh. So she was like, I would guess a good word would be like agitated. That's a bad sign. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it was. Here we are talking about it all. Like that. <laughs> <clears throat> so um, we're asking her about the falls because she said um, she had fallen earlier in the day, was feeling weak. And um, she thinks she hurt her rib on her left side. Okay. And so she was grabbing what we thought was her ribs, and she was just like, ah, you know, not not having it. Didn't want people to touch it. Didn't want people to look at it. Just wanted to be left alone. Was pissed off that her neighbor had called 911. Right. You know, that's she kind of the uncomfortable, issue. though. But she was uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Yeah. And so we're trying to let the QRTs do their thing, and they're basically saying, you know, if you want, Medics are here. They can take you in, get you looked at. You may have broken a rib or, you know, could have done some more internal damage. We're not really sure. So um, she's insistent on staying, but over the course of about 10 minutes, friend basically talks her into going. So at this point, we're like, cool, now we have a plan. We're going to be getting vitals? back. Um, so we don't have vitals yet. <clears throat> QRTs didn't have vitals for oh. us. They were in the process of letting they into their. They didn't credit. want to agitate her. They didn't want to agitate right. her, and they didn't want to do anything she wasn't comfortable with. Right. So, you know, they had to have permission yep. first and all that kind of stuff. Yep. So we do take a quick set before we get moving towards the ambulance, and initial pressure um, was like right around one fifty over eighty, um, and then heart rate was normal. We'll say high eighties, and uh, sat was good. Okay. So. Um, She's also adamant about wanting to walk out to the ambulance. So 
she's like this old kind of frailer person. I'm like, ah, we, we got to like spot her, you right, know, kind right. of thing, right? Because oh, yeah. you know, we, don't, we, don't, we don't want her falling on us. And she's been complaining that she's just not feeling well. So get, get a person on each side of her, and we're walking her out, and she just folds. And she's like, you know, um, she's like, there, it happened again. And we're like, what happened again? She's like, my legs gave out. I'm like, what? This is so strange, you know? And so I'm thinking of all these, like, does she have, like, some weird viral illness? Like, does she have, you know, uh, some sort of muscular issue? All these things are running through my brain. I don't know what the heck's going on. We're all hungry. Her vital signs are stable. She's looking a little funky, though, so we're going to take her up. So were you concerned, or do you think that maybe this is just, you know... Honestly, put on a show. The thing that was a, was a challenge on scene was the QRTs had already been on her, and they thought she was one of the more dramatic types of uh, people that okay. we go on. Mm. Yep. And so we were kind of led down this path of yep. she's a drama queen. Been there. So um, we had that mentality taking her to the cot. Get her on the cot. She's still kind of pissed off at us and doesn't really want to be there. So we're trying to play nice and you know get her loaded up and off off we go. Yeah. So, like a good lieutenant, what do I do? You I chart. Drive. <laughs> I drive the ambulance. <laughs> so, Turn on the radio. Yeah. I make sure it's Keep a nice, it comfortable degree temperature in the back. Right. You know, I've, I've, you know. Someone has to hold the clipboard in the car. Someone has to hold the clipboard. It's it's a vital. That's what job. CPR stands for when <laughs> yeah. you're an officer. Clipboard, <laughs> yeah. pen, radio. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Holly gets it. Yeah. And so, who's in the back? You got one back, paramedic I got, and I one. Got, I got a brand new probe medic and a seasoned medic okay so uh we're a three medic crew that day um i got two medics in the back and i'm up front so uh, she didn't when this happened she didn't it wasn't like a fainting episode nope she didn't she, she never lost, lost consciousness she, she lost. didn't trip and fall yeah she okay. said her legs just gave out. gave out okay so we get moving um get in the back of the ambulance no issues throw some lines in her um and we start heading towards the hospital code one at this point mm-hmm so I would say, you know, we got 25-minute transport time, probably five to seven minutes in. <laughs> if you've ever been driving on a call that's code one that turns code three, <laughs> someone usually yells at you or pokes their head up <laughs> trying to get your attention, right? And all of a sudden, you got someone's face, like, right next to you. <clears throat> and um, so my, my more seasoned partner uh, pokes his head up, and he goes, hey, man, uh, we got to move. I think she's dissecting. And really? I go, what? Like, and so I'm thinking, like, no, could that be what this is? This is so, it's just such a strange call. None of it added up. None yeah. of it made sense. And so I didn't ask him any clarifying questions at that point because it's just like I know what I got to do. You got to go back there, and you're busy. So, but on scene, no, no complaints of any pain other than the rib. Well, pain. Other than the I'll give pain. you some follow up information okay. that he got okay. in the back. <clears throat> so we obviously start going up code three and. For the sake of the podcast, um, I will just say that it was a great drive. I, I kept them comfortable in the back. Oh, there good, was nothing. Good job, sir. I'm yeah. sure you did. Yeah. Uh, they felt uh, in control in the back. They weren't getting tossed around. Um, it was a vital part of the job, of the call, and, and I did my duty. You probably saved a life. Thank you. Thank you. So um, we get to you know, the hospital, and I'll, I'll spare you some of the – I'll give you some more of that info here in a second, but – the information that uh, my partner got in the back was that she was um, having back pain mm. and not rib pain. She kept putting her arm behind her along oh. her spine. And she um, 
was on the cot and she kept rotating back and forth saying, I can't get comfortable. I can't get oh, comfortable. Wow. And so my partner, who's literally had this call happen to him before, goes, oh, my God, I know exactly what this mm-hmm. is. Last person died. This yep. was a this was a um, aortic dissection. So um, he calls it, throws another line in her, um, you know, starts monitoring things a lot more closely, um, gives the hospital a heads up call, which was huge. Um, and we get to, <clears throat> we start going up there. So, you know, fast forward 20 minutes and now we're at the hospital and we're wheeling her in mm. and I'm, you know, we got the monitor up kind of on the back of the, of the gurney and I'm at the back and we're wheeling her in and the, <laughs> the route that we took was like, I don't know, we probably ended up wheeling her 250 feet to her actual trauma room that we got. And from the hospital or from the back of the ambulance to the hospital bed i'm watching the the rhythm on the monitor and it looks pretty good we get about halfway there and it slowed about halfway so she she's went from like rate of you know 80s down to 60 and now she's in the like low 40s and then as i'm verbalizing hey guys her heart rate's slowing uh she completely flatlines in the uh as we're reeling her into the room like in the bay yeah, uh, in the actual trauma room. Okay. So, <clears throat> wheeler in, basically shout out to everybody, hey, she's coding. And then from there, it's, you know, mass chaos, and um, now we're all of a sudden, we're running a code. Hmm. Um, unfortunately, she didn't make it, but the take-home point that I had from that call was one that I've had in other on other calls, but it's never looked 100% the same. But this one did look almost 100% the same for my partner. So that's why he was able to spot it so quickly. Um, but it was a really, mm. it, it was just tough. tough. That's like, a tough call. You don't know exactly what you're dealing with. You've right. got all these other you know, external factors that are changing your perception of the patient, of what the patient's actually trying to describe but can't. And then you kind of start to put the pieces together at the very end, you know, as she's yeah. Dying. As she's dying. Yeah. Um, kind of common theme of this podcast. It's, it's, it's <laughs> Unfortunately, like, yeah. yeah. Those are some of the calls we learned yeah. from the most, but, oh, man. There is that distinctive, <clears throat> I can't get comfortable yes. type of agitation that comes with that particular presentation, you know. But like, anatomically, you know, like, we've all done anatomy lab. Like, when you look at the aorta, it's, like, right on top of the spine. Right. Yeah. Right. It is. Yeah. Yep. It's like I attached mean, to it. It's like, you know, it's a retroperitoneal structure like on top of the spine. And like, mm-hmm. you know, I think when you're like in somebody's chest looking at it, you're like, oh, yeah, no wonder their fucking back hurts. Yeah. Like it's on their right. back. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So I had makes... no idea it was back there until we cut one open and yeah. Yeah. I saw it on a cadaver. There it sits. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I think in yeah, general that that agitated and once you've seen it, like you're saying, Holly, once you see that look of like, there's something really bad going on, right? And, and you know, I've I've also seen it with dissection, yeah. where they're like agitated and it doesn't quite look right. It doesn't look like somebody who's uncomfortable from back pain, but it's like that agitation of they're dying, mm-hmm. right? And they have that kind of wide-eyed look and they can't verbalize what they're feeling, but it's not a good look, right? Once you've seen it a couple times, so yeah, it was such a strange call for many reasons, but. The thing that, um, you know, and we talk a lot about the mentality you go into a call with. Oh, 100%. And how quickly we can be caught off guard, right? Uh-huh. 
because we've already made up our mind mm-hmm. before we show up about what we're going to see, who we're going to interact with. And when that is almost confirmed by your other counterparts on scene, yeah. it's even that much harder to snap out of that mentality when you're treating someone. And so it was it was a really good eye-opener for me because mm-hmm. for me, anytime I now have a patient who's unable to describe the uncomfortable feeling, it's just like, you know what? We're not going to mess around. We're just going to take you up and get you looked at and... We'll go from there. But it was, she it was like a, clammy or sweaty, or did she have any other so you know concerning findings? I'm <clears> curious. As we were wheeling her in, she went completely white. Yeah. Um, you know, she had that like see through gray color. Yeah. Um, and you know, then she was gone from there. But in route, she was she was pale and just uncomfortable. And I I'm sure my my partner would describe her as progressively getting paler mm-hmm. um as time went on. But yeah. So, Ramsey, what kind of things should we be looking for? If we have this type of call, I what mean, are some other things that can lead us down that? Yeah, I mean, the your partner who, the back pain <clears> is kind <throat> of the, right, the classic presentation for dissection. Is, right. You know, I've got, it sounds like she had some degree of some sort of thoracic pain, right? So I think of it sometimes as like as posterior chest pain, right? That kind of, that yep. back pain that is yep. sort of thoracic in nature, but people are like, my back hurts. And I mean, that's sort of the the classic presentation, right? Tearing chest pain through to your back. You know, people then have, you know, it can be pale and diaphoretic. But I think the thing that's tough with these cases is like a lot of people don't read medical textbooks. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And a lot of people don't say that, you know, those catchphrases. And and a lot of these presentations are, they're they're not always textbook. So, I I mean, the, the things that's hard with dissections is, figuring out that they're dissecting yeah you know and if you look at a lot of the statistics on it it's like over 50 percent of first presentations for dissections are missed so there's a big delay in identification which is also not great Mm because like every hour that you're sitting on a dissection the the morbidity and mortality goes up a lot right but i mean the thing that have you ever been surprised on like the oh we're gonna do a chest x-ray because that's a pretty common thing you do have you ever been surprised like oh dissection or i mean um, yes found it that way there's i've had maybe a couple cases through even back into residency where you get a chest x-ray and you're like oh that that mediastinum looks wide right and it's not what you're expecting then you get a ct and they're dissecting but i'd say that's more rare right you know if we if you have any clinical suspicion you get a CTA. And I think the thing that's yeah. tough, well, this, especially this case, is that the legs giving out, the whole story, her yeah. sort of being resistant to care. Like, she wasn't telling you about the back pain. And people come in with back pain, right, all the time. Uh-huh. It's a hard it's a hard balance because you can't, like, CTA everybody that comes in with a degree of back pain. But <laughs> um, how, yeah. how quick is a CTA? Like, when you from the time you order one, in your software to the time that you get the results back? What's the typical? Um, I mean, tough question, right? If you're, let's just say you can get the patient back to the scanner, mm-hmm. you know, pretty quick, 10 minutes okay. to get him back, get him contrast studied, get him back to the room, get the images up. Yeah, maybe like 10 to 20 minutes. And and are you putting a rush on those? Is that a thing? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you have a high suspicion for this, mm-hmm. I'm, I mean, I had one the other day at Emmanuel where, you know, 
the guy gave a very classic story, chest pain, through to the back. He looked like crap. He was agitated. He was sweaty. I was like, this guy's dissecting. Yeah. Right. But this is kind of the, that's sort of more rare. And he was dissecting. So yeah, I called radiology. I said, Hey, I've got this guy's, I think he's got a dissection. Like we got to get him studied like now. Yeah. Um, and so it was pretty quick and I looked at it and it looked like a dissection. And so I called CT surgery in and how'd he do? He did okay. Cause he had a, he had a descending dissection. So he had a type B not in the ascending aorta. So those ones you actually don't typically take to the OR emergently. Okay. And they Can you go over those those two? Yeah, so I mean, we used to, and I always look it up, because there used to be an old DeBakey classification for dissections, which was like one through three. Now we use what's called the Stanford A and B, right? And a type A dissection is anything that involves the aortic arch, right? So it can be the aortic arch beyond the arch down into the descending aorta or just the arch. And then a type B is anything external to the arch. So just the descending aorta. Okay. And the bi- the reason it's a big issue is that the type A's, you're talking to usually a cardiothoracic surgeon, and sometimes they do joint cases like CT surgery and vascular surgery, and those tend to be surgical. Like you're going to the OR, they're getting a big chunk of their aorta cut out and a big graft or whatever. Right. Whereas the, the type B's, tend to just be blood pressure monitoring, ICU, vascular surgery, plus or minus surgery, but you don't usually rush them back to the OR. Gotcha. Yeah. And those don't tend to dissect back into the pericardium, mm-hmm. which is why a lot of these people die, right? Right. They dissect back mm-hmm. into the pericardium, get tamponade, and die from tamponade. Do they present the same way? They, yeah. I'd say we see less type A's because I think a lot of people don't make it to hospital. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, the presentation's still that sort of tearing, radiating back pain. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. It's kind of the big. We had another one. You, you're bringing up um, the type A's. The, we had a, again, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a weird setup, our hospital system. We have, um, you know, our level two trauma center, but then we also have, like, in the same, you know, kind of, uh, general vicinity of this medical complex there is a immediate care center okay and so a lot of times the people whose first due is the hospital end up taking patients from immediate care to the er because they went to the wrong spot right or they found something and it's like ah we gotta get you looked at and so um was working in that district that day um this is probably gosh this is probably 10 years ago now um get called for a chest pain, which is a very common thing we go to this facility for. Um, and people think, ah, I don't really want to go to the ER. I'll just go to immediate care and just get this checked out. And then they get there and they realize doctors and nurses don't mess around with chest pain. So you get a bunch of stuff rolling. And um, this guy's gray, looks like crap, feels like crap, very sweaty, um, has pain in the center of his chest. And we walk in and it's one of those things you're like, ooh, mm-hmm. this guy's not this feeling guy's really good. good. You know, yeah. it's, Feel, felt kind of bad for the dude. He was in his late 40s. Oh, yeah. Um, and heavy smoker, really out of shape. Yeah. Uh, just looked like he was having, he looked like he was having an MI to me. Um, and so mm-hmm. we are talking to him, kind of getting the story from the docs. And I would say we were, we'd been there maybe three minutes. And this nurse is sprinting down the hallway and we can hear her 
And then all of a sudden she's there in the doorway and she stares at the, um, the doc that had ordered the test and she goes, he has a seven and a half centimeter tear in his aorta. Wow. And this is, they ran back from this from yeah, CT. They ran back from yeah, CT yeah. and gave this information to the doc and everybody kind of goes, huh? Like <laughs> what? <laughs> and so all of a sudden our <laughs> attention shifts to this guy like, we're about to watch you die. It was really this really wow. strange kind of slow-mo. So we very cautiously, you know, get him on our cot. And we're trying our absolute best not to hit even the slightest, yeah. you know, awkwardness in the, you know, concrete going out to the ambulance. Because we have like a like a quarter-mile drive to our um, our ER. They call ahead, get an mm-hmm. OR prep. The longest quarter-mile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Uh, wheel him in. Um, they get him prepped, and as we're getting our gurney out of the uh, prep area, and we're wheeling down the hall, we hear a uh, massive transfusion, oh, OR3, geez. and we're like, oh, mm-hmm. we were just in OR3, you know, so yeah, um, he ended up not making it either, um, but yeah, it was one of those, it, it's hard to say, especially in our, in a, you yep. know, with the limited tools that we have, it was, the dude looked like he was having the big one. I guess he kind of was yeah. in a way, but um, very strange. Well, I think that's a tough thing with these is that <clears throat> a lot of processes like MIs and STEMIs or any sort of occlusive coronary incident can, you know, people have chest pain and they're sweaty and they can say they have some radiation to their back or, you know, yeah. or P- I think dissections and PEs as like an ER doc are the things where you're like, God, they're kind of sneaky, mm-hmm. right? And they're, big mm-hmm. deal misses and they're t- i mean they're tough like pre hoss i can't even imagine pre we have so many other tools in the once they're in the er mm-hmm. that we can utilize right in like a pre-hospital setting i think it's even harder yeah be like oh this guy's dissecting like you know well and so much of what we do is what we've seen on other calls and we're we're looking for yeah. trends and yeah. we're looking for patterns and when we see those we run with that because it burned us one time. Right. We don't want to let it happen again. Right. And so I know that's, that's like the art obviously, of being a paramedic. Yeah. And that's obviously true in all of medicine, right? Like that to some degree is going to happen. But because we're so limited in what we can actually do, you know, for patients in the field, we rely on that. Right. You know, that sense more that, you know, Dan always calls it his spidey senses, <sighs> which is basically just your experience yeah. talking to you. Um, that something's not right. Which is why like the paramedic discretion for trauma injuries yeah, it tends huge. to be yeah. like the the best generator of an actual problem yeah. is your discretion. You this know, patient like, does not fit the of, usual. But something's going on, right? Yeah. I can't yeah. pinpoint it. So. Yeah. We had a great activation the other day that was, you know, EMS discretion and it lady did not meet at all. And initially people were kind of like, yeah, you know, Okay, we another trauma, and she had a big brain bleed, and like, oh, wow. the, you know, went to the ICU, and yeah. So no, I think spidey senses are important. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Holly, you also had a great uh, incident with aortic dissection. Do you want to walk us through that one? Sure. I think on the flight side of things we probably transport the most aortic dissections. At least yeah. we know their dissections when we're transporting them. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's a scene call and you might think it's a, a dissection, but um, we, we frequently would transport from hospital to hospital a known dissection. 
which is kind of scary sometimes. Um, I know that in the field, let's say if you know it's a dissection, you probably have like labetalol or some sort of beta blocker um, to treat with. Treating for pain is super important because pain can increase your blood pressure. And in these patients, we want the blood pressure to be as low as possible. Mm -hmm. We want their heart rate to be as low as possible. Um, so our go-to med for aortic dissection is Esmolol, for the, uh, at least for the flight transport world. And then if Esmolol isn't working or if for some reason they have pulmonary edema or something that precludes them from getting Esmolol, then we would use clobetapine which is, um, it looks like propofol, uh, but it's definitely one of those meds you can turn off and on. And just like Esmolol, you turn it off and on and it immediately stops working. Um, it's super but that was, um, yeah. And for us, that was like the major thing is keeping their heart rate like between 60 and 80 and their systolic, you know, between 90 and 100 or 110 and just really trying to titrate, um, the Esmolol to that effect. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and we use, I mean, and we I use think, less you know, clavetapine in the EU. We use a lot of nicardipine, but right. again. I think a lot of ERs still use nicardipine. Yeah. Yep. Um, we would see a lot of people, like a lot of maybe rural places, not know how to dose the Esmolol well. Like they would start the maintenance infusion without the loading dose, which is really important to have um, because you're bolusing and increasing the titration like step by step to, you know, get the effect you need. So um, but we did have a, um, person that we picked up, um, in a rural place. I think they, by ground, it was an hour to the facility that was accepting her. And she was a younger lady, probably in her fifties with a dissection, which was surprising to them because she presented like most women do just not feeling well, sort of like mid back pain. Um, but she was for all intents and purposes, totally stable. She was alert and oriented. She was making jokes. She begged us to not take her in the helicopter. And so we, of course, convinced her to go. So we, we have to drive from the hospital to the helicopter where it's parked. So um, it wasn't a hospital that had a helipad. So what's we the, get her over to the... What's the time frame there? It's about seven minutes, probably. Okay. Uh, Dan, was I with you on this call? Do you remember? I don't, I don't maybe it wasn't you. Oh, I, I don't remember who I was with, but we finally convinced her that the helicopter's safe and we get her in there and we're getting ready to go and we get a chip light, which means <laughs> when you try to start the helicopter, <laughs> if there's any like floating metal pieces around, <clears throat> it triggers the chip light. And so we do have a protocol for that, but you're not allowed to just burn a chip light and then restart it and keep going because of the specific helicopter we had. The, the fix for that is to have someone from maintenance come out and do a full inspection and then you can go. Super so that would have been like a four hour yeah. process, right? Jeez Louise. Not what we want. So we <laughs> have her on our one bag of Esmolol that we own, um, which as we've calculated, is probably gonna last us about an hour. Um, our transport is now an hour because now we have to unload her and put her in an ambulance and drive to oh. the the hospital where she's a direct admit to the OR. Hmm. So, of course, have you ever been on a rural road that's not super bumpy? <laughs> no, um, they don't exist. This one was like, multiply that by 10. And it was, it was just. 
had the imaging already all been, everything had been done. Like you, they knew that it was a dissection. They knew it was it a type knew A. It was a dissection. Yeah. It was a type A. She okay. was going directly to the OR and we were um, just trying to, and so she was had a major anxiety anyway from, but she was very happy to not fly in the helicopter. She was very happy <laughs> to go in the ambulance. So, um, and it had anyway, her symptoms changed. Had her symptoms changed or still still staying the same? Still staying the same. I mean, she is currently having pain. She is, you know, like I said, she's mentally with it. She is stable in that way, but it's kind of touch and go. You know, like we're having a hard time keeping her blood pressure down. So we ended up adding clovidipine onto the max amount of Esmolol just to keep her blood pressure within a range we were happy about. Um, And so... Anyway, we we finally get to OHSU. Um, we're backing into the the ER bay, and the pump starts beeping because oh. the Esmolol's out. Dang! And we've maxed out. We've maxed our clavidipine, and we've maxed our Esmolol at this point. So I'm like, okay. So I called the OR to let them know. So we we arrive in the OR. And no one's there. I don't know where everybody is. Oh, and like, what? We have a, an active dissection, and we're out of Esmolol. So I'm freaking out a little bit. But, of course, they were all calm, cool, and collected and getting <laughs> getting consent and, you know, taking their time. And anyway, it was um, it was kind of crazy. So did she made it? I do think if we didn't, she did. Oh, yeah, yeah, she actually oh, had a great outcome. Look at this. Positive. Oh, thank yeah. you. Huh. Man, Steve's been ringing me down this whole time. Yeah, <laughs> gotta have something to bring us back up. Jeez Louise, <laughs> goodness. And you know, there's a lot that goes into that one. That was kind of embarrassing. Mm. First of all, that the helicopter didn't oh, uh, turn back yes. on. Yes, right after you're um, trying to convince her that but, it's safe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is safe. It was, Trust me. It could have been a sitcom for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we ended up getting her there in time. But that doesn't, you know, that doesn't always happen. I've never had to max out both. Of our yeah, that's amazing. You went um, that far. Yeah, and Esmolol is interesting because it blocks like epi and norepi, uh, the like naturally occurring epi and norepi in your body, and so it does kind of help you stay chill mm-hmm. um, in that way. But it is the type of medication that when you when it turns off, it's gone. It, it's like, done. It doesn't yep. last. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we we were. What it's great you guys. Start but I'm really because, glad we had all of those yeah. things to be able to to manage the patient with, because um, without it, she, she obviously would have continued to dissect. And right. Probably wouldn't have made it. And you know, most people will tell you, like a lot of people will start clavetapine or nicardipine, focusing on the blood pressure. But then you get that you get a reflex tachycardia, and yep. which is a problem when you're dissecting because then you increase all these shear forces and everything gets worse. So. Super important to get the heart rate and down. And pain management. Yeah, pain management, Esmolol, if you need nicardipine or clovetapine, whatever you have for you guys and route, obviously. Different. We were giving her fentanyl and Ativan, and, like, we were, she got the full <laughs> cocktail. <Yeah. so. laughs> she was a real happy. Yeah, and what was her, do you remember what her presentation was? It was just, you said it was her just kind of vague. Was, yep, it was, like, vague sort of, like, mid back pain it had been going on for a while but she didn't want to what she was at work yeah. and she didn't want to like leave work early you know that kind of thing she was a tough lady yeah and i think i think reverse roles i think her husband made her come in 
um, because she wasn't, you know, again, she was uncomfortable. She couldn't quite sit on the bed in any, she wasn't still at all. She yeah. was constantly moving around just trying to get comfortable. That's great. And the, the one so I had they did a good job. similar to that. And actually the, she, I had a, you know, we talked about it briefly, but she got called on. I forgot this part of it. She got called on by EMS the night before. Oh, no kidding. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they kind of. So I had a lady that yeah. Give us the backstory. The background is, on this one. This is a good background one is you know it's sound from what I understand. EMS got called the night before I saw her. Um, she was short of breath, so I think somebody in her family was worried. They called nine one one. She I think refused transport. I kind of chalked it up to her being really anxious. Uh, you know, they kept her at home. This is also in the height of the pandemic, so this is like right. Okay, nobody COVID, likes to go. COVID when COVID was at its worst. Yeah. Right? So she comes in the next day when I'm working in a critical access rural hospital, single coverage, busy shift, midst of COVID. Right. She gets transported because she can't breathe. Right. She gets put into our COVID room, which is like this back triage room yeah. where yeah. people go to die. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just like, right. like kind of on, on its own. And, you know, I end up, I'm running around, I end up going back there because they couldn't get a line on her. And they couldn't, they're like, we're not sure if this blood pressure is accurate. Hey, will you come see this patient? We think she has COVID. She, her SATs aren't great. She can't breathe. So I, you know, take my ultrasound back there, throw a couple of IVs in her real quick, listen to her lungs. And I'm like, God, her lungs sound fine. Yeah. You know, they're pretty clear. But she had that look, like that look we're talking about where she's like leaning forward and leaning back and like can't get comfortable. And I'm like, what, what is going on? And she's like, I, she had no pain. She's like, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. She just kept saying, I can't breathe. Wow. And I'm like, God, her lungs sound fine. Like, this is weird. And I, you know, serendipitously, like, just happened to be back there with an ultrasound because it's right. difficult to access. I'm like, I want to look at her heart and her lungs. I stick my probe on her heart, just giant pericardial effusion. Jeez. In, like, like, in the most borderline of Tampa. I mean, she was in Tamponade, effectively. Yeah. Like, yep. she had cardiac. So I'm like, get her to her but I, I like literally poke my head out of the side of this room and i'm like yelling like activate life flight this lady's in tamponade get her in another room so we like wheel her to this other room and i put an art line in her and her pressures were super borderline like you know 90s systolic mm-hmm. still mentating get oh get, uh it was actually st v's i think in portland on the horn and we don't have kits we don't have pericardiocentesis kits her pressures were still okay. She was still mentating. I mean, long story short, they were like, get her to Portland now, right? Flyer. Um, oh, I'm like, well, I could, I, could, I could put a central line in her pericardium under ultrasound. They're like, oh, no, don't do, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. What are you talking What kind of cowboy medicine are you talking about? I was like, we, that's our we're only option, outside right? the box, man. Yeah, and I was real worried about her. And and this, then Life Flight was, she's like too unstable, too unstable to fly. Yeah. I got there. I'm like, well, she's going to die. So we convinced we'd get another doc on the on the helicopter with him, and she ended up coding en route. They did a pericardiocentesis, but she didn't make it. So I'll bring us back down since okay. Holly had Thank a positive you. case. Yeah. I think it's Thank good. you for bringing us back. Yeah, to I think reality. it's always good to end on a, on yeah. a, uh, on probably, a Probably, I mean, the moral of the story is if I was on the flight, it probably would have turned It probably would have turned out. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's for sure. I mean, these cases are tough, and they present weird. They are. And, you know, they're they're not – outcomes are Mm -hmm. if they're good they're lucky yeah right one thing i wanted to mention which we haven't really brought up which is kind of like the one thing they tell us to do in ems is the blood pressure differentials 
So checking on the right side, then checking on the left. Yeah. And we're looking for that, was it, greater than 20, 20 points. Yeah. So can you walk us through why that's important, what the heck that signifies? Yeah, I mean, when you're die and Holly, you can probably jump in too, but when you're, when you have, and some people in the ICU will even put, you know, well, there's an ICU doc at OHSU who's like this super brainiac famous guy. I, I've seen him put in four art lines. Wow. So both upper and both lower wow. extremities for dissecting patients. Is that right? Yeah. And then you like titrate your blood pressure to the highest one. And, but yeah, if you're, you know, if you're dissecting. It's like a video game at that point. That, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, what are you doing over there? Uh, you know, as that, as that dissection travels down that lumen of your aorta, it can, you know, it can knock out your renal arteries. It can, it knocks out all those little branches off of your aorta. So you can get all these blood pressure variations on each side of your body. Right. So, yeah. If somebody came in with a big blood pressure variation like that and chest pain, like that's another big red mm-hmm. flag. Other than the the story, right? But that's a good point. You yeah. know, for people that you're worried about, like you should always be getting blood pressure, bilateral blood pressures, right? You know? And that's kind of sta- like in the trauma settings and things like that. That's usually pretty standard. We always get both sides. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's just one more tool yeah. in the toolbox you have to add to the story. Um, right. Yeah. Do you guys happen to remember if you guys noticed any blood pressure differentials in your patients that we've talked about? The yeah, the one I had, I think the blood pressures were both kind of crappy. Yeah, <laughs> you know, kind of borderline. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And then I, I, I don't know for certain because we she was so unstable that we couldn't image her or anything like that. But after talking to Cardio, we kind of debriefed on the case they're like you know she probably had a type a dissection she probably dissected back into her pericardium Mm -hmm. Mm because it was pretty quick and it you know she had some clot in her pericardium it sounds like when they kind of saw her and didn't echo and you know chances of survival of that when you're transporting from a rural hospital like our transport time it's pretty like even if you got a line in her like they're just going to keep bleeding into their pericardium and right oh um, yeah and there's no space in there to bleed either so I right. mean, unless you can evacuate it. Yeah. Um, that's been taken out of protocols. I mean, some some places still have that in their protocol, but I mean, let's be honest, nobody's good at it. And who wants to actually stick a giant needle in someone's heart without <laughs> yeah, ultrasound? Right. right. Yeah. We did it in on a, a bumpy pig lab once. In and a that was a helicopter. You know, my takeaway from this is <clears throat> I, I hear uh, you guys talking about all these different signs and symptoms that, you know, to end a shift, I'm tired. Mm-hmm. You know, I've already been in this patient six times in the last month, and yep, I just blow it off. Yeah, every call, yeah. man. Uh-huh. It's got to be. If it's not on your radar, you're gonna miss it. Yeah, yeah, right. Unless you know, every once in a while, somebody presents with that like classic, classic, right? Mm-hmm. Presentation, but like that when you're working in the real world, like almost nobody mm-hmm. comes in with mm-hmm. classic. Right. Presentations every once in a while if you're lucky, but most of the time you got to work at it. Yeah. You know? I was, I was pretty, I was pretty impressed with my buddy, you know? Yeah. Um, the fact he caught it, obviously it didn't change the outcome, but he knew what he was dealing with at that point. And he was able to bypass all of the, you know, extraneous information he was given and then form his own opinion. Nice. Um, after he was, after we were transporting. So and he's a grumpy driver, isn't he? No, I was the grumpy driver. No, the grumpy driver, they, Fire engine normally. Uh, normally, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's a great catch. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, that was a weird case. Yeah, very weird. Well, guys, that's all we got for our episode. Is there anything else? That's you a wanna, good one. You want to share anything else on your brains? 
Holly usually has Trust some really smart. Trust your gut. <laughs> she does. She yeah. does. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, yeah I, I, you know, you do as much as we all try to practice like evidence-based medicine and follow protocols and algorithms and clinical guidelines. Like there, there is that like part of you that's like this, this feels different. Right. Yeah. And I, I think the people in EMS emergency medicine settings like that, that it's a really important thing to trust. Yep. Cause sometimes your gut yep. tells you to do something that is maybe not, you know, evidence-based or <laughs> that, you know, you, you don't need to, if you plug it into some risk calculator, maybe you don't need to do a CTA on this person for a PE or a dissection. But every once in a while, you're like, "This something's up." Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think it's important to like. Yeah, and from your end, you have a lot of pressure on you from both, probably from a lot of places where you can't. You have to have a very solid reason to do a CTA or like yeah. a very expensive procedure, right? You can't right. just. I mean, I'm sure you'd love to do like 10 times more CTAs than you do. Sure. But you're under a lot of pressure to not do them unnecessarily. And I don't know if they keep track of them or if, you know, there's any pushback, but you have to have a strong clinical indication to do the thing that's going to tell you the yes or no. So there is a lot of, you know, not guesswork, but there's a lot of probably talking yourself in and out of different procedures. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, let's leave it there, guys. Thank you so much for your perspectives and for making me feel better about not always catching these things <laughs> really appreciate all your guys's input but uh yeah something to keep on your guys's radar and um we've got a f- uh, some fun episodes coming up so we'll catch you on the next one sounds good thanks steve thank cool. you